0: Listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. Amen. To me, though I am the least of all the saints, God's grace has come to me. Let's keep our Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 3, if you will, as we continue our year long study of the book of Ephesians. About two years ago, the movie Avengers Endgame opened. To a record-setting box office. In five days from its opening, it made a billion with a B, billion dollars. Now, you wonder how many, how, how did it become so popular? Why was this movie among the top two biggest grossing movies in box office history? To understand that, you have to understand a couple of things. Between the ages of 18 and 54, 60 percent of those in that age group love superhero movies. But beyond that, the game key on that word, is a popular movie because it was set up by Avengers Infinity. And I was already corrected that I mispronounced that or I didn't get the term wrong. There's some in the room that care more about the Avengers than the rest of the message. Let me go over to my notes, Avengers Infinity War. In Infinity War, the evil Thanos, everybody knows the evil Thanos, right? collects the six stones, and the jeopardy is in jeopardy is the good guy going to win. In other words, the movie before, which was a high-grossing movie, was a cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. In fact, the Endgame movie was so popular, not was because the previous movie was a cliffhanger, but because there had been about 25 movies over a 10-year period, all culminating with this one movie, The Endgame. Now, that word Endgame comes from chess. It comes from backgammon. It's a strategy employed by hopefully a soon-to-be victor moving their chess pieces, moving the pieces around as you close in on the back of a winning strategy. Some of you who are chess players and maybe even a few backgammon players in the room may have an end game. That's not lost on the pages of your Bible. In fact, as we open up the third chapter, much of this chapter is devoted to showing that God has an end game. He has a plan, if you will. In the moments to come, we're going to see that God has been keeping secret up until the time of the New Testament. He kept his cards close to his chest, if you will. He had a good poker face. He would not reveal his secrets. And we're going to see in the moments to come that God indeed has a plan. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 9, right outside of the reading of our scripture, notice these two connecting words, mystery and plan. Look at the word of God. And to bring light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Again, what is the plan of the mystery which was hidden, hidden in God, hidden for ages in God who created all things. Ephesians 3 wants you to know that God has a plan. And the word mystery is going to be key as we're going to see it's connecting itself seven different times in the book of Ephesians, three of which here in the early part of the third chapter, God's big plan. He has a plan. And that may come as a surprise to you that God has a plan and that he kept much of his plan secret into the time of Jesus Christ, that he kept his cards close to the chest. He wasn't revealing. Like the Avengers, their end game is fictional, but this end game is factual. And you may be coming here today thinking, there's no plan. Everything in this universe is random. You may wanna know that like any good puzzle person, what do you do if you're putting together a puzzle? You look for the picture of where it's already put together right at the top of the box. You put that out there so you can match up the pieces. God has a picture of how things are supposed to be. We're in the middle of the chaos of the pieces coming together and this plan, verse 9, is culminating in Jesus Christ, the key step of the cross of Jesus. I wonder, how many, how many brain cells have you put together in your lifetime thinking about God's plan? If I were to just stop you, maybe later today, and say, have you given more attention to the Texas Rangers season than you have the plan of God? Have you given more attention to the Avengers Superheroes series than you have the plan of God? You might view the nighttime sky through a telescope connecting the Big Dipper or some other constellation. Have you spent time connecting the dots that God has had a plan for the beginning of time that's culminating with his arrival, his second coming? Have you, for example, in the words of verse 4 of chapter 1 of Ephesians, considered that God has a detailed end game that was set before the foundation of the world. Have you spent time, portions of the day, day, daydreaming that God included you, if you're in Christ Jesus, in the promise when he selected Abraham and Sarah some 3,000 years ago or more? Have you thought, have you had brain cells devoted to the meticulous plan of God that he chose to work through the heinous actions the heinous actions of David and Bathsheba, so that he would bring apart and bring along Jesus Christ in the fullness of time. Have you thought about the meticulous planning of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, and how they brought that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in the fullness of time, as Galatians 4 speaks of. And they brought him with a greater precision, a meticulous, more meticulous planning than even the launch window of NASA, when they launch any other aircraft have you measured the pace of time that god seemingly moves like an iceberg floating over the north sea and yet he always arrives with his plan just on time have you considered and watched with a comprehensive handiwork century upon century how he has brought his plan into completion just as judas would kiss the cheek of jesus and just as joseph were to be betrayed and sold into slavery by his brothers all to be brought back to the vice-regent of Egypt and to forgive them sometime later. Have you considered how the Trinity has plotted and planned from Abraham forward and how they've plotted and planned from the Garden of Eden and how even though everything went wrong there with Adam and Eve, no emergency planning session went into order. Everything was already set prior to this. Have you seriously contemplated the plan of God and how he included even you in his plan? Have you spent time daydreaming this and thinking through this? Have you studied the night sky with greater attention than you've studied his plan as revealed in the pages of Scripture? Because if you were, you would marvel. You would worship. You would be alone or together with other believers and know that the Word of God has powerfully moved, and you would come in this sense of worship, how he simultaneously sweeps you into his plans. And have you with all due consideration, with all of your attention, have you considered all the trouble? Have you thought of all the trouble that God has gone to in order to include you in his plan? Have you any idea how much trouble God has gone to in order that you might eventually spend eternity with him? It was not an automatic thing. He worked and deliberated back before Adam and Eve and all of creation moving through the cross of Jesus Christ. Well, if you've considered that, then you're in good company because Paul himself would. In verse one and verse two, look at these words. He says, for this reason, Paul, a prisoner, that's our author, I wanna remind you, he's writing this not from an ivory tower, not from a sanctuary with stained glass, he's writing it from a unventilated hot prison underground. He said, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard the plan, the stewardship, the economy of God's grace. If you've got an open Bible, I want you to mark the word stewardship. If you're not in a plan of taking notes, it may be that you're not growing as a Christian because you're so little in taking notes. That word stewardship there, it's a word from where we get our English word economy. God has a plan. Our Fed chairman, all this past year, has been giving out stimulus checks and they've been meeting together in regular planning sessions so that the economy would not tank. God, equally, is a Fed chairman. If you think the American economy has a plan, you may be, of my opinion, as if wondering if it does, how much more, a heavenly Fed chairman? who's planning, the word here, stewardship, is the word economy. It is a word that we get of striving a man or a woman, only a man in the first century, who's planning the household accounts of a wealthy person. Paul says, I've considered how God has included me in his economy, in his plan of God's grace. Whenever you were to encounter the apostle Paul, If you were to go by his tent-making station, like a food truck someplace, a tent-making station, stop by and have any kind of conversation with this man, he would begin to tell you how he was not always a follower of Christ. There was a day when, to use his word, describe himself, he was a blasphemer. He would revile God. How he would round up Christ's followers, put them in shackles. How he would see to it that they were stoned to death if necessary. He would never get over how God in his grace included him in his plan. How this man, who was the arch enemy of the New Testament church, became the most prolific author of the New Testament. He marveled at the grace of God. He would have seen the words of amazing grace more than we would have ever had. Notice in verse 1, he said, for this reason. What is that referring to? Refers back to all of chapter 2. Chapter 2, where the cross and the gospel and the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, all that power that's given to believers, all that devoted where Christ and the gospel unite to bring together diverse kinds of people who otherwise would have nothing in common, who would not get along in any way. And that's what the gospel does. He says, for this reason, the gospel creates Unity and destroys divisions between human beings that cannot be eradicated in any other way. Not the State Department, not conflict and foreign wars. We're going to see this more in a minute. This is a rich, powerful picture of God's grace. Paul says, I'm a recipient of his grace. I am one who is a child of the king. Some weeks ago, I came across a story of the Queen of England where she was attending a boring royal banquet. imagine they have quite a few of those, don't you? At the time, the Queen of England had a, a daughter, a young daughter, a princess. And like any small kid, she became bored with the banquet. So in the beginning of the banquet, she sat up straight like her mother had taught her, sort of the Emily post, you know, sort of everything together. The banquet, she just kept slouching in the chair, kept slouching in the chair. So the queen, sit up, sit up, sit up, sit up. And the banquet would go on, and she would begin to slouch in the chair. Sit up, sit up, sit up, sit up, sit up. The third time she had to call down her daughter, the future queen, she said, sit up tall. I want you to sit up tall. Don't you know who you are? You are a child of the queen. You may not feel like it, and you may not be acting like it. But you're not to slip down in your seat. You're to sit up because you are royalty. You know what Paul would say to us? Don't you realize who you are in Christ Jesus? You are a daughter of the King. You are the Son of the Most High. You have Christ as your Father, and God as your Father. No doubt, you are a Son of the Most High. You are to have that sense of dignity about you because the grace of God, He's come. We sang a moment ago, He's picked us out. He's chosen us. He's brought us to Himself. Have you gotten over the fact that you have been graced by Christ, how he's loved you and brought you in into the fold? Have you considered, again, this great plan of God that would even sweepingly bring you into it? You know, the day and age which we live in, we love to binge-watch things, do we not? Some of you will spend weekends, hours upon hours, on Netflix and Hulu and Disney+. Plus. We'll keep watching episode after episode of The Crown, Breaking Bad, one division, Mandalorian, The Office, or This Is Us. We just have to know how it ends. But why is it we haven't spent equal brain cells, not in a fictional but a factual, the plan of God, as revealed from prior to Adam and Eve and chosen of our forefather in the faith, Abraham, down through David, coming from David and Bathsheba to Jesus Christ, to Christ beginning a church, to the church coming to the day in which he returns back and brings us all back. Could it be that because we've spent more brain cells with one division in the crown and less brain cells on the Bible's God's plan, could it be that this reason we're not so easy to prime into worship? The words that Paul would write in Romans chapter 11, these words, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? And then there's a crescendo on top of it all. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. See, if we were to binge watch, spend our brain cells thinking about this intricate plan of God, then our cynicism would drip away and our faith would be built. We would know that he is marching into history's time to a great future plan. We would increase our wonder and our majesty. God has a plan. Paul knew that he had a plan, and Paul could say, I'm in his plan. Notice again this word mystery in Ephesians chapter 1. Pick up with me now in verse 4. The word mystery, it appears three times, first of which right here in verse 4, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Paul was a, an apostle, a custodian, if you will, a trustee on the board, so to speak. He was to guard this mystery. Like a water engineer were to guard the city's water to keep it pure, that's what Paul was to do. And he says again, it's a mystery, it's a secret. He uses that word over and over again. If you're a novice Bible reader and you're wanting to pick up steam and do a little bit better in your Bible reading, understand God's word a little bit more, key in on when he repeats a word. And he repeats this word mystery seven times over the six chapters. He goes back to it over and over again. Don't you love a good mystery, a secret? Maybe you had a secret hideaway when you were a kid. Maybe there was a secret password to get in. If it was a guy's hideaway back in the day for boys and girls weren't allowed in, that whole type of thing. Maybe you had a secret clubhouse. Who knows what secrets you're keeping right now, this morning, that no one else knows. But this secret, this mystery, in verse six is going to do something powerful the mystery is that the gentiles are fellow heirs members of the same body and partakers of the same promise in christ jesus and the gospel now a mystery tracy and i love mysteries on a friday night saturday night we will turn on typically a mystery and i especially love a legal thriller and maybe you have somebody you watch the movies with like this or episodes that kind of thing And the two of you will do like she and i do we'll try to guess early on who's the culprit right and she's she's generally more right than i am she generally gets it in in hallmark movies i mean there's really no mystery to that one (laughs) but a mystery a mystery is something that's hidden and it's your job to discover right now the greek word that paul's using here means exactly the opposite this is not a mystery This is not a mystery like a thriller. This is not a novel that I'm to discover it. In fact, it's the exact opposite. The mystery in Ephesians is a mystery or a secret that cannot be discovered by human logic. It cannot be discovered by human logic. In other words, if the brightest minds, the MIT's, the Harvard's, the Princeton's, the whomevers were to get together, they would never discover this mystery. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says these words, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed, the word revealed, pulled back the curtain. The secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed, that God has pulled back the curtain, they belong to us and our children forever. There's some things he has not revealed. But in this, he's revealed something, a secret, a plot twist. You may not know the name, David Prose. I may not be pronouncing that name correctly. I didn't know it. He recently passed away, the actor. You will not probably know the actor, but you probably will know what he played. He played Darth Vader. Though his voice, Vader's voice, was James Earl Jones, Vader himself was an English actor. The early people of Star Wars did not feel that Vader should have a British accent. Thank God they had that brain, right? That would not make sense. And in the script, if you remember, I don't know which movie it was particularly, but Vader says to Luke Skywalker, no, I am your father. We think of it as Luke, I am your father. But the actual words were no, I am your father. It was a plot twist. The actor who played Vader, even his script did not include that key plot twist. It was so secretly guarded by the people of Star Wars, only three to four people knew it at the time. They wanted to keep it close at hand. They wanted to keep the secret close to the chest. They did not want to reveal the cards. Now that plot twist, no doubt, probably excites many people in the room, but the plot twist in front of us, this mystery has a greater consequence. Let me show you how, let me show you why. In your Bible, you will never see the Ten Commandments referred to as a mystery. You'll never see the golden rule referred to as a mystery. The golden rule. To treat others as you would have them treat you. The Bible does not refer either of those as a mystery. What it does refer to as a mystery is the cross of Jesus and how God accomplishes that. Now, Why is that? Why would he not refer to the Ten Commandments or the golden rule that way? Here's why. Most people around North Richland Hills, most people in Fort Worth, most people around the globe, I've discovered, think that God works That if you perform well with the Ten Commandments, you perform well with the golden rule, then he will take you to heaven. But that's not the way it works. It's not, not at all. God doesn't work that way by the Ten Commandments or does he work that way by the golden rule? And you say, well, why not? Well, perhaps one of the reasons why is that you could figure it out and I could figure it out. And he won't do it that way. Instead, what is a mystery? Here are the mysteries. The gospel is the son of God who triumphs through weakness, and through death and suffering. He won through losing. He gained everything by giving it all away. He overcame your and my sin and guilt by taking it on himself. And it's counterintuitive in every way, and it's not what you'd ordinarily think. It goes against all that human instincts and logic would come about, in spite of how bad you really are, how morally and spiritually messed up you and I are, that he would save you, not by keeping the commandments, not by doing the golden rule, but by the actions of the Son of God on the cross, G-R-A-C-E. The Bible says this is a mystery. So the Bible never calls the Ten Commandments, he never calls the golden rule a mystery, but he calls this in verse 4 and in verse 6, the idea that you're saved by grace is a mystery because no human being would logic this out, would think this out. So notice in verse 6 again, the underlined portion here, the words fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers. Those are three Greek words embedded in verse 6, similar to chapter 2, verse 6. This is a sort of a clue in reading the Greek of Ephesians, the original language. In verse 6 of chapter 3, and in verse 6 of chapter 2, if memory serves correctly, you'll have three sin words, S Y N. Now, you and I know what a compound word with the sin prefix is. Everybody loves it when the pastor talks about grammar on Sunday morning. Sin, synonym, syntax, together. That word sin means together. And embedded in verse 6, he just spells out what is one of the great mysteries of the gospel. What is it? Well, you'll see it better in another translation where it says the following, that we're fellow heirs, we're fellow members, and fellow partakers. We're fellow heirs, fellow members, fellow partakers. You could say that we're equal heirs, equal members, and equal partners. And that's been God's plan all along. He's been slowly like an iceberg moving his plan inch by inch from the choosing of Adam to Noah to Abraham to David down through Jesus, not just to work among one people, among the Jewish people, but so that all people be equal heirs, equal members, and equal partners. And every single person who's in Christ would be equal heir. And every single person who's in Christ would be an equal member, an equal partaker. And the Bible says, now, this secret is shared. And the plot twist is out there. When I think about secrets, I I think about two American name brands. I think about Coca-Cola and their secret formula. And I think about KFC and their secret recipe. Five of you would admit to eating at KFC right? Coca-Cola keeps their formula so secret that India in 1977 said, if you're going to sell Coca-Cola products in our nation, you will have to reveal to us the secret formula. Coke said, no, thank you. And they did not share their toys. You can find Coca-Cola there now. But if you were to go and to the headquarters of Atlanta in a great little tour there, you see the Coca-Cola headquarters, the vault in which the formula of Coca-Cola is there. They keep it close to the chest. KFC keeps their secret recipe close to the chest. And this is God's secret formula. This is his secret. He's revealing it. And it's a powerful truth. First, he says, We're fellow, look at these words, fellow heirs. So the Bible's revealing a secret. It's a mystery, that's a plot twist. And if you are a Jew, you will probably know that you have Jewish blood inside of you. But if you don't think that you're a Jew, then you're a Gentile. You may be an Asian Gentile. You could be an African-American Gentile. You could be an Hispanic Gentile, or you could be a Caucasian Gentile, but you are a Gentile. If you're not a Jew, you're one of the Gentiles. And the Bible says here that you and I are swept up in this because we're chosen, the words of Galatians chapter two, chapter three, verse 29, that you are in Christ, that you're Abraham's offspring. He's chosen you in there. You are a fellow heir, heir according to the promise of God, so that this huge secret, there's no inner circle. Christ does not have an inner circle of first class of Jews, and the rest of us are in coach. In fact, these fellow heirs were arch enemies. They were arch rivals, and they're brought together in Jesus Christ. How much so? How how much vitriol was there? The author of Ephesians, it's recorded in Acts 21, had made his way into Jerusalem. His fellow Jews, Paul was a Jew now, they started a riot. We've been watching riots happen at the Capitol and all across America this past year or more. Started a riot. What was the riot over? This was the riot. This is what the arch enemies were. They accused Paul, a Jew, of bringing a non-Jew into a court in the temple that a Jew shouldn't go. And for that, they nearly tore the place down. If it weren't for Roman guards, Paul would die. Now, he's standing there with Roman guards around him. The riot has just ceased. What do you think he might should say to them at that point? I bet if you're a Republican in front of Democrats, you probably would say something Democratic if there's a riot. I bet if you're a Democrat in front of some Republicans, you might say something Republican, right? Not Paul. Paul gets up on the heels of a riot the arch enemies, the whole thing. He said, I did not bring anyone in this court that should not be, but I do want to tell you why God has called me for this purpose. I'm to bring the gospel that God loves Gentiles. Either he's incredibly stupid, or he's called of God. This is the this is the vitriol of it. This is the two rams on the top of a mountain banging their heads together. And God said, Here is my plan all along. I begin with Israel and I move, and now they're fellow heirs. Notice secondly in Ephesians verse 6, he says they're fellow members, they're fellow members. No matter your race or ethnicity, the Bible says that we're equal sinners, we're equally helpless before God, that we come to one and the same Savior, that we have the same salvation, we have the same Holy Spirit, we have the same Father, the same trials, and we're marching and going together to the same eternal home. The Bible says we're also fellow partakers of the promise. What is that promise? Some of you have been looking through your Bibles this year because of COVID and vaccines, you're looking at your end times and you're cluing in on the Antichrist and the 666. Friend, you're looking, you're looking among the crumbs. Get your eyes up off the floor and look at the table itself. Here is an in-game clue to the end times. John says, After this I looked, Revelation 7:9, and behold, a multitude that no man, no one could number, from every nation, all tribes, of all peoples, of all language, standing before the throne, before the Lamb with white robes, each of them. God is purposely, this is end time stuff. He's purposely picking white Caucasians and African Americans and people of Tamil India Indian people of great Britain and people of Iran and people of Mexico and South America and Canada to bring them together. So that heaven is not one color. That's as end times as it gets my friend. Amen. So I want to ask you with your life in this year and this time, what are you doing? That's going to make a difference in that picture because if you're in Jesus Christ, that's where we're headed. You're going to stand there that day and say, my, my 401K looks really big. Hey, Jesus, I want you to come see my summer home that I purchased. It's really cool. None of that stuff's going to matter. None of that stuff's going to matter. What's going to matter is the secret that's now revealed. Jesus said this, Paul said, this is what I'm aiming at that all of them would be in a white robe, and all of them would be crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne along with the Lamb. This is why Christ died. He didn't just die to fix you, and you needed fixing, and I needed fixing. He died to fix us. He kept it secret. He kept it close to his chest. It was not popular. There was great vitriol, but then he opened he opened the secret. I make it a purposeful habit not to really pay attention to the Academy Awards. I really don't. But every so often, about once every half century, they do something that's, I figure is worth my attention. Do you remember in 2017 when Warren Beatty opened the envelope? But he got it wrong. He announced the wrong winner. I think he was there with Faye Dunaway, if memory serves, correct? And... They were announcing the winner to one of the coveted Academy Awards. But Price Waterhouse, the people who keep the Academy Awards secret, well, they gave him the wrong envelope at the last minute. Those people were probably looking at unemployment later that day. And this is a secret, just like that secret. This is a secret that's been revealed. God is tipping his hand, but there'll be no mistakes. And the Bible says that there's a book, John says, he calls it the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. And your name's in it or your name's not in it. It's just that simple. Your name's in it or your name's not in it. It's not like the stimulus check. God didn't give one to everybody. He gives it to those who are in Christ. That's who's in the book. Grace is not according to the Constitution. As good as that document is in the Bill of Rights, he goes up another level. And he gives it to all those who've trusted Jesus Christ. And some of you are here today and you have trusted Christ and you're a recipient of the grace of God and it's in your hands. What are you stewarding it with? What are you economizing it with? Every so often I'm reminded about nine years ago, this church gave me the keys to one of the best churches I know about. So I ask myself regularly, Mays, this is the keys to a really fine automobile. What are you doing with it? Because there's coming a day when I will be asked, what did you do with your nine years or your 19 years or your nine months? What are you doing? Just like I'll be asked. The Bible says any who are in Christ were all priests, these teenagers, you're priests, you have the responsibilities. What are you doing with your life? How are you stewarding and how are you economizing that? How are you using your life strategically so that people would be one to faith in Christ? And that the aroma of the gospel, the words of Paul, would smell good and inviting. Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.